Well, good morning, Change Point Northeast Anchorage. How are you this morning? It's truly a privilege for me to be here with you today. A.W. Tozer uh, was one of the great theologians, one of the great Christian authors and pastors of the 20th century. And he once said that what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. As I've reflected on that, I believe that that is really true because what we think about God actually affects how we live and what we do. Let me give you just a couple of examples of that. Number one has to do with um, our view of control. Are we masters of our own destiny? Does man's wisdom reign supreme? I think oftentimes that's what the culture tells us. If you believe enough in yourself, you can do it. In the information age, information is oftentimes touted as being king. And yet Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says this. The Lord says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. I had an experience uh, a number of years ago that really drove this home for me. Uh, My first quarter of college, my freshman year, um, I decided to uh, go to Mexico and play basketball in this foreign exchange program. Really tough first quarter, huh? So for two and a half months, I was down there. A friend and I went. We were part of this basketball team, and we studied Spanish in the morning. We were in class, and in the afternoon, we practiced and played basketball. I think we had 18 or 19 games, and uh, 10 credits of Spanish, 5 credits of PE. It was rough. Um, <clears throat> so two and a half months, we were down there, and... Um, Early on in the trip, we thought it would be great to go to the beach at the end of our time there. So we made reservations to go to Puerto Vallarta when we were done, spend a week there before we went home. But as the two and a half months progressed, first time out of the country for both of us, first time away from family, um, by the time it was time to leave, our quarter was done, we actually thought going home sounded better than going to the beach but we didn't have tickets to go home. We had tickets to go to the beach. So uh, our last day, I remember our last day there at the airport, um, saying goodbye to the friends that we'd met uh, that in our time down there, saying goodbye to our teammates as they got on a plane and headed back to the United States. And uh, we went back inside to uh, go up to the ticket counter and, and get our tickets to go, go to the beach. So... It wasn't a horrible thing. We were still looking forward to going to the beach, but I'm just telling you, we would have preferred to be going home at that point. And um, we get to the ticket agent, and she gives us our itinerary, and I was a little bit dismayed at the fact that um, when we were to fly from Puerto Vallarta to Mexico City and then Mexico City home, our layover in Mexico City was short. And I was afraid that we would not have time to do what we needed to do, gather our bags, get through customs, all of that 
stuff in Mexico City. And so for a guy who was really ready to go home at that point, that didn't help. And um, I spent the week, I enjoyed my week at the beach, um, but I did spend some time uh, praying about this situation, asking the Lord to take care of it because I I really wanted to go home. And so um, basically, I, as I saw it, not having traveled a bunch, I thought there were three options. So I gave them to the Lord. You know, uh, Lord, you can either cause our plane from Puerto Vallarta to Mexico City to be late, I mean to be early, to arrive into Mexico City early, or you can cause our plane from Mexico City to Seattle to leave late, or perhaps, best of all, you could do both. So um, we get to the airport in Puerto Vallarta uh, when we're ready to go home, and walk up to the ticket counter, and the lady looks at us and says, your plane has been canceled. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I'm like, Lord, that wasn't one of the options. <laughs> <clears throat> so uh, they told us to go sit down while they worked on it for a bit, and when they called us back up, um, they told us, well, we got you on a plane directly to Seattle, and we left Puerto Vallarta later than we were supposed to leave, and we arrived in Seattle earlier than we were supposed to get home. And God used that in my life to change my view of him. It's a lesson I never have forgotten. His ways are higher than our ways. We oftentimes put God in our little box, think about the things that, the ways he can answer our requests, and um, it's important what comes into our mind when we think about God because it affects how we live. That changed the way I live. Another example of how what we think about God impacts the way we live is our view of our role in his work. Sometimes we disqualify ourselves because of what we're not. We tend to see the glass as half empty. And we conclude that he can't use us yet. Maybe ever. And um, yet the truth is different than that. You know, when when the Apostle Paul um, was ministering, he had what is known as a thorn in the flesh. He asked the Lord three times to remove what he called a thorn in the flesh from him. We're not told exactly what it was, but he asked the Lord repeatedly for this. And finally, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, the Lord responded by saying this, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. In my experience, uh, a number of years ago, in part of a leadership at, at church, I was in a situation where um, things kind of blew apart and I was overwhelmed um, by the needs of, of people, overwhelmed by whether or not the church would be able even to continue to exist. And um, I remember coming to the Lord on a daily basis on my knees in my bedroom, crying out to God saying, Lord, please show me what it, you would have me do today, and would you take care of 
all that other stuff that's running through my mind, the needs of people, the health of the church, um, because I'm so overwhelmed and those who are working in this with me are so overwhelmed. We can't possibly address all of those things, those concerns that are out there. And God walked us through that. The church, by a miraculous, by his miraculous hand, he worked in that situation for his honor and for his glory. And that was a situation in which he proved to me the truth that his power is perfected in our weakness. So what we think about God really does affect how we live, and it affects what we do, which is why today's topic is so important. So would you pray with me? Lord, we come before you today and uh, just tell you that we want to think rightly about you. And we want it to affect the way that we live. Not just what we think, but the way we live. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to intentionally cultivate the life of Christ in each other as we live out who you've designed us to be. Just ask that you would uh, help the message today to be clear and may you be at work in it. In Jesus' name, amen. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is John 10.10. The second half of that verse, Jesus says, I came that they might have life and have it to the full. And that, I believe, is different than the culture views God. I think the culture that we live in, if you ask them, would say that they believe God's a taker, not a giver. And I think that many of us in the church, while we'll assent to mentally the fact that, yes, I know that he came, that we might have life and have it to the full, oftentimes we have this fear that he's going to ask more of us than we can give. The truth is, it's the devil who's a taker. The first half of John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. John 8.44 says, The devil is a murderer, a liar. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Your enemy, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. It's the devil who's a taker. God is a giver. The truth is, God is a giver. We see that throughout history and all through Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation. In Genesis 1 and 2, God gives life to man. And not only does He give life, He gives the birds of the air and the fish of the sea for us to rule and subdue, He says. Genesis 12 and 13, God gives Abraham a promise and not just Abraham, but he promise, makes a promise to all the people of the earth through Abraham. Matthew 6, 25 and 35, 25 through 35, Jesus speaking, he says, Don't be anxious about anything, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll wear. For my Father knows that you need all of these things. 
Rather, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. He's a giver. Matthew 7, 11 says that the heavenly, our Heavenly Father loves to give good gifts. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son that we might have life. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father. 2 Peter 1.3, God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. So it's important that we think rightly about God, and He's a giver, not a taker. As one of the songs that we sang earlier says, he's for us, not against us. And because God's a giver, you and I don't have to fear that God will ask more than we can give. You and I are freed up to see and enjoy how our giving actually is used by God to bring life. And that's what we're going to look at today. So what comes into our minds when we think about God is very important. And the truth is that Jesus came that we might have life and have it to the full. So here's the big idea for today. It's that you and I can experience joy in giving because our giving brings life. I can experience joy in giving because my giving brings life. We're going to look at several passages today. The primary passage is going to be 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Um, yeah, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 13. So if you want to turn there, you can. I'm going to jump around to a few other passages as well, but that's going to be the primary text. So what does God do when I give in a way that's significant to me? He does at least three things. And the first that he does is he brings life to me as the giver, to you as the giver. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I'm going to start in verse 6. <clears throat> Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. As I thought about that, God loves a cheerful giver. Why? Why does God love a cheerful giver? I think a clue can be found in Hebrews chapter 11, the first six verses. I'm going to read a few of those. Listen to what uh, the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. By faith Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. And listen to this, chapter, or verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
God loves a cheerful giver. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. I think God loves us, loves a cheerful giver because He knows that when we give, it puts our faith into action. It builds our faith. As we effectively say, Lord, I'm trusting you to provide for me as I give back to you something that's significant to me. We're walking in faith when we do that. So our giving brings life to us because it increases our faith. The second way that our giving brings life to us as the giver is that it lifts our eyes to an eternal perspective. And just briefly, I'm going to skip over to Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When you give, when I give, our giving brings life to us as the giver because it lifts our eyes to the eternal perspective. Where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. So the big idea, I can experience joy in giving because my, jo- my giving brings life. Not only does it bring life to me as the giver, to you as the giver, but God also uses it to bring life to others. Let me get back to 2 Corinthians here. Lost my place, sorry about that. Verses 12 and 13 of 2 Corinthians 9. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people. And then moving down to verse 13. Because of the service by which you proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and everyone else. Our giving supplies the needs of God's people and to others around us. You and I have a need for fellowship, don't we? Have a need for for teaching. As you guys look forward to what's coming in 2015, the development of leaders, continued development of leaders, uh, a clear spiritual pathway, a, a focus on mission that um, is intent on intol- intentionally cultivating the life of Christ in one another. Your giving here uh, supplies the needs of others in this room, others that are a part of this church, to make those things possible. Your giving is supplying the needs of God's people, as well as those in the surrounding community. You know, um, I'd like to commend you as a church in a couple of specific ways. 
uh, in this area. Number one, um, you've been a self-supporting ministry for most of your history. And you can watch in the bulletin each week to see how you're doing last week's giving compared to budget. But I want to just encourage you that the Lord's used you to make this church possible. It's been possible now for three, two, three plus years. Your giving is supplying the needs of others. I'd also like to commend you in the way that you're supplying the needs of others and helping those around you. Just the practical uh, Bartlett High School clothes closet. Your giving is bringing life to those around you. In both cases and in other ways, your giving makes possible the very existence of this church in this community, and God's using you as individuals and as a church family to meet the needs of others. Your giving brings life to others. Finally, you and I can find joy in our giving because in addition to bringing life to us as a giver and life to those around us, God also uses it to bring His glory to life. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11. Read with me. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The result is thanksgiving to God. Verse 12, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. One of the ways you express thanks to the Lord is giving back to Him. Verse 13, because of the service by which you've proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Your giving, my giving, brings His glory to life as an expression of thanks to Him as well as others observing the result of meeting those needs. They praise God. They thank Him. Again, I'd like to commend you in this. One of the things that comes to mind when I think about uh, this church is your involvement in last year's Thanksgiving Blessing Project. I remember that your church was one of two churches that were primarily responsible for one of the distribution sites here in Anchorage. And um, what, I think 850 families were served. You guys had nearly 500 pounds of uh, food brought in, nearly $6,000. Many of you volunteered. When I heard about that last year, I thanked God and praised God for you as a church family and what He was doing in and through you. You and I can experience joy in giving because our giving brings life. God is a giver. He came that I might have life, that you might have life and have it to the full. And we can choose to give with joy because His Word says that His giving brings life to us as the giver, brings life to those around us. And also brings His glory to life as people are thankful and praise Him. 
So I'd like to just challenge you guys to think with me this morning about some practical applications of this today. And the first, I'd just like to ask some questions and have you guys just think about them for a moment or two. The first question is this. Do I believe some of the devil's lies about God's nature as a giver versus a taker? Do I believe some of the devil's lies about God's nature? Number two, do I consistently give in a way that is significant to me? Do I significantly give back to the Lord in a way that's significant to me? And and if not, what prevents me from doing that? Number three, do I find joy in giving back to the Lord? He loves it when we're cheerful about it. We can be cheerful about it because it brings life. Do I find joy in giving back to the Lord? And finally, um, what step does God want you to take in this area? Let me encourage you to take action on anything that the Lord's impressed on you, as we've talked about this today. And I want to encourage you in part by telling you a story about uh, a young couple a number of years ago who was a part of... um, a biblical financial um, principles class at the Raspberry Campus, much like the class that you guys have on Wednesday nights as a part of your ministry here. Um, this was, there was a young family in this class. They had three kids, $40,000 in debt, no steady job. And as part of their small group, they were challenged with the fact that God's a giver, that he is their provider, that they could find joy in giving back to him something that was significant to them even as they were working to get out of debt. And so they asked the people in their group to pray with them for God to do big things. His ways are not our ways, right? Um, They sought the counsel of others in helping to change their spending habits. They sought the prayer of others in asking them to pray for uh, a job. And it wasn't easy. It involved selling some of their assets, a vehicle or two, uh, paring back their discretionary spending. Through that, they, they continued to ask the Lord to help them knock this debt down, even as they were giving back to him something that was significant to them. And two years later, they were enjoying the freedom of being debt-free and stronger in their faith because they'd taken God at his word in this whole area of giving and finances and trusting him. Stepping out into faith with the help of those around them. They experienced life as they stepped out in faith. And what they believed about God changed. And they changed. And today I just encourage 
I encourage you to believe that God is a giver. May you trust Him to bring life to you, life to others, and His glory to life as you give cheerfully back to Him in a way that's significant to you. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come before you today and uh, just tell you we know your ways are higher than ours. Um, At least at a head level we do. I pray that you would help us to walk that out, to believe that at a heart level, Lord, for to change the way we live on a daily basis. I know that finances and giving, Lord, are an area that it's hard to trust in. But you are a giver. You are trustworthy. And we just declare today that we want to be like you. We want to be a giver like you, and we want to trust you that you will provide for us. We ask that you grow our faith. We ask that you bring life us, life to those around us. We ask that you bring your glory to life in the way we live. In Jesus' name.